0: Radio Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The loving God, we give you thanks and praise for all the graces and blessings you have given us. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your very Mother. And as we look at this topic today in Scripture, we ask you, Lord, to send your Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts and our minds that we may come to know and love your Mother just as you do. Lord, we give you thanks and praise. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Mary, Seat of Wisdom, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This session in Our Queen, Our Mother, we want to have a look at Mary in Scripture. Now, of course, it's a, it's a huge topic, so we'll just take a introductory look at uh, Mary in Scripture. And, um, but before we start, it's probably good to, um, to comment because a lot of people say, well, you know, Mary doesn't really say much in Scripture. But of course, Mary's greatness is not in what she says, but in what she does. And if we look at all the um, major events in Jesus' life, all those key events, we see that Mary is is present in these events. The other interesting point that often sort of gets um, overlooked is if we stop and think, well, well, let's take the infancy narratives of Matthew and Luke's gospel. You know, where did that material come from? Obviously, the evangelists who wrote those Gospels were not there at the time. So really the only intelligent answer we can give is that Mary must have been the original source of that information. So, you know, in a way we could say indirectly she uh, contributed greatly to those infancy narratives of Matthew and Luke's Gospel. Let's look now at where we see Mary first in the Bible. Now, probably many people would say, oh, well, I guess we'll turn to Matthew's Gospel. But really, we can go earlier than that. We can go back even to Genesis. Now, before we do that, we probably need to say something about the way we interpret Scripture. Um, St. Augustine has this, is famous for this line that the New Testament lies hidden in the Old Testament. And the Old Testament is revealed in the New. So there's a, a distinct connection between them. So in other words, you know, when we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, in other words, in thinking about Jesus, we can see in the Old Testament so many things that have now have a richer meaning that open up with its connection with Jesus. So you know, when when we talk about interpreting scripture, we can say there's first of all there's the literal meaning. Now, by the literal meaning, we don't mean the kind of fundamentalist. Sometimes we use that expression if someone's interpreting the Bible in a fundamentalist way. We say, "Oh, well, they're interpreting the Bible literally." But when um, biblical scholars talk about the literal meaning, they mean what the author meant, that original text. But also, in Catholic understanding of Scripture, we have what's called the spiritual levels, which are are kind of deeper levels that open up. So it's possible then to read the Old Testament and see um, prefigures of Jesus and Mary in in those texts. So the text we want to look at, first of all, is Genesis 3.15. Now this is a very important text, and in fact... um, The Church Fathers said, called this um, Genesis 3.15 the Proto-Evangelium, which is the first statement of the Gospel. Or as someone put very eloquently, it's the genetic code of the whole of the Bible. So let's just uh, have a look at Genesis 3.15. It picks up the story where Adam and Eve have sinned and Adam and Eve have a conversation with God and then God turns to the serpent meaning the devil and says and because you have done this you shall be banned from all the animals and from all wild creatures on your belly you shall crawl and dirt you shall eat all the days of your life and then the next line is that the key line that we want to focus on i will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers He will strike at your head while you strike at his heel. So let's just open that up a bit. I, God, will put enmity. What is enmity? It means a hostility, a hatred, even a war. I will put a war between you, Satan, and the woman. Now we have to stop and think, well, who's the woman? Between your offspring implying that Satan has offspring that's an interesting one we'll come back to that and hers ah so the woman has an offspring he will strike at your head while you strike at his heel so if you get struck in the heel it's a wound that takes you down but it's not a fatal wound but a wound in the head is definitely fatal so we can sort of You know, open this up and put it in everyday language. There's going to be a war between Satan and the woman, but the offspring of the woman will strike at Satan's head, and so the blows will be exchanged. There will be there will be a battle, and you know we can say that the the strike at the heel is symbolic of Jesus' passion and his and his death. But of course, Jesus rises again, so it's not fatal. But the strike that will will strike Satan in the head is symbolic of a total crushing. So it's a prediction, then, of the whole of the Gospel message. That's why the Church Fathers call it the first statement of the Gospel, because it predicts the outcome. So we know the outcome. God is going to win this battle with Satan, and he's going to win it by the help of the woman, so <clears throat> I think it's good, you know, to stop and, and realize, you know, that um, if God has predicted this, that this battle will be won by um, the woman and her son, then you know, we if we start thinking that Mary, even for even one moment, is under the control of Satan then it kind of negates that promise that prophecy so you know victory will be gods and it goes and it and the woman will help win this victory okay so let's just go back to that line about offspring of the woman and offspring of satan and probably the best way to look at it is to um is to jump to the end of the Bible now and look at Revelations, um, chapter twelve, verse seventeen. So the serpent now has become very powerful and is referred to as a dragon. So then the dragon became angry with the woman, and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring. So it raises the question: Who is the rest of her offspring? Does that mean Jesus had brothers and sisters? No, it doesn't. Well, Scripture tells us who the rest of her offspring is in the very next line. Those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. So the rest of Mary's offspring are those who keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus. So we all should be hungering to be children of Mary, offspring of the woman because scripture says they are the ones who will keep God's commandments and bear witness to Jesus and so if we look back then and say well what was Genesis 3.15 referring to when He talked about the offspring of Satan well the offspring of Satan is just the exact opposite are those who do not keep God's commandments nor bear witness to Jesus The next scripture we want to have a look at is Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, 28 and following. Now this is the Annunciation and we've all heard this many, many times. But let's have a look at it and see if we can um, open it up and perhaps see it in a new light. And he, that's the angel Gabriel, came to her, Mary, and said, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I have no husband? and the angel said to her the holy spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you therefore the child to be born will be called holy the son of god and mary said behold i am the handmaid of the lord let it be to me according to your word now there's a a few lines there we omitted but i just wanted to um, focus on particularly on those texts so the angel Gabriel comes then to Mary and he says to her this is um, verse 28 hail full of grace the Lord is with you now of course that sounds very familiar to us it sounds an awful lot like the Hail Mary and of course that's exactly where the um, the first line of the Hail Mary comes from, straight from this scripture. But notice there's something missing. The angel Gabriel does not say the word Mary. He doesn't say Hail Mary, full of grace, which you would kind of expect him to do. When you greet someone, you normally greet their name. He says Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. If we look back to the Greek and we could get some Greek scholars, biblical scholars to sort of comment on this, it's quite interesting because the angel comes to Mary and doesn't actually use her name. He addresses her by her function. And so, you know, we could, if we opened it up literally, we could, in the translation, it would go something like this in English in sort of trying to make sense of it. Hail you who have been and still are full of grace. So it's, um, it's an amazing thing that he actually addresses Mary as a name, as full of grace. He doesn't use that word Mary. He says, you who are full of grace. It's, just, it's a strange way to kind of greet someone um, according to, say, like their occupation. It would be a strange thing to walk into the room and say, hello, you who are an electrician. Um, So the call Mary full of grace is actually, in, in the Greek, it's actually used as her name. And then the next line says that Mary was greatly troubled. Now, a lot of people say, oh, you know, Mary was afraid when she saw the angel but that's not what the text says mary was greatly troubled why the next line tells us at the saying and considered in her mind what sort of greeting this might be so mary in her humility was somewhat guarded at why this angel was greeting her this way she may have been suspecting perhaps it wasn't a holy spirit maybe it was a a demonic spirit or something trying to tempt her. Let's jump now down to verse 34 and Mary said to the angel how can this be since I have no husband? Now this seems a rather strange thing to say because if we take into account what we read in the other gospel that Joseph and Mary were betrothed, were engaged, well. It seems a kind of a strange thing to say. You would think, well, well naturally, it's the you know it's going to be my husband's going to be Joseph. That's what we would expect. So, but there is a tradition in the church that says that Mary and Joseph came together and lived a celibate religious life and um, sort of vowed their virginity to God. Now, that in those days was was really not, not common at all. In fact, very rare to do something like that. But, um, but it does kind of help make sense of that line if that was the case. And the angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So that's where we get the whole idea of Mary as spouse of the Holy Spirit. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And then Mary's reply, which is that wonderful reply that um, there's a lifetime of spirituality reflecting on that. And Mary said, Behold, I am the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. And as Scott Hahn puts it really well, Mary doesn't just say, OK. She says yes. And she means it from the depths of her heart. You know, and that's what... We're called to do. We're called to say yes. Not just an okay, we don't just do things out of obligation, but we do it and we do it from the depths of our heart um, because we mean it and and we do it for love of Jesus. That's why we do it. So the coming of the Messiah then has been anticipated throughout the ages. In fact, we could say from, really from Genesis 3.15, um, that scripture prophecy at that point, all through the ages, waiting for the coming of the Messiah. So you can imagine, at that point when the angel Gabriel comes to Mary, what an incredible moment in history this is. And um, Tim Staples puts it really well. He, he he describes the you know the the suspense of that moment where the whole of heaven is just you know holding its breath as though to speak waiting for the reply of mary because her yes will mean that the entire universe is changed forever this 14-year-old girl her yes so that you and i can have salvation it's it's an amazing thing you know you can imagine just the whole of heaven erupting into shouts of joy and praise as mary says be it done unto me according to your word you know and the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us that beautiful line that we that we often say in our prayer so truly a um a wonderful scripture to reflect on and to um and to uh, and to read and pray about Let's go now to Luke 1, beginning verse 39 uh, 39 to 56, which deals with the visitation of Mary to her cousin Elizabeth. Again, we know this, um, we know this so well. Let's, let's pick it up at um, um, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Most blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And it goes on, that beautiful, magnificent prayer that we often say. And then it it ends in that section with, Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. So we want to have a look at this, um, go back to that first um, verse in 41. 41 where Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she cries out in a loud voice, Most blessed are you among women. We could paraphrase that, Praise be Mary. And then the next line, Blessed is the fruit of your womb. We could paraphrase that, Praise be Jesus. So if we look at that, we can say that if, according to Scripture, that if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit, we should be able to say praise be jesus and praise be mary so you know if um, if we meet people sometimes that have trouble saying praise be mary you know it's it's a very scriptural thing and in fact it's quite intriguing the way it's actually written because it's it actually says Blessed are you among women, praise be Mary. And blessed are is the fruit of your womb, praise be Jesus. It Actually, Mary is mentioned first. Now, the order of things in Scripture is very important. If we look at the, um, the apostles, we always see the list of the apostles where Peter is mentioned first and Judas is mentioned last. So the order of things in Scripture is important. So you know it's a big deal here when Luke writes his gospel under the inspiration of the holy spirit where he actually puts Mary first. So you know it's again it's 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 I guess we could say the holy spirit is emphasizing here the importance of Mary. And then Elizabeth says you know how does it happen to me that the mother of my lord should come to me. Now we, we have to see that as the, the mother of my Lord. The way it's used there, it's, it's a reference to God. If we look at the word Lord, we see that it's used in the Bible 720 times. And 638 are reference to the divinity, where the term Lord means divine, means God. So that's 90% of the time, approximately. I used to go to um a Mass and after Mass we would say the Rosary and there was one person who couldn't say the, the, the Hail Mary, um, holy Mary, mother of God. They couldn't say that. They used to say Mother of Jesus. And you can imagine it was pretty annoying. Everyone's praying and one person saying something different. You know, I I was tempted to say to that person, what is your problem? you know. And, 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 and sort of go through it. But, you know, I'm sure they meant, well, I, I, had a, I know another person who has the same problem saying, you know, mother of God. They don't want to say that. They want to say mother of Jesus. But of course, in doing so, what they don't really realize is by not saying mother of God and using the title mother of Jesus, they're actually taking away from who Jesus is, the divinity of Jesus. You know, one of the um, dogmas of Mary is that she is the mother of God, and sometimes people get upset about this. But I think it's helpful to look back and to see, well, how did the Church come up with that? And it came up with it back in the very early days when um, the Church was trying to define, well, well, who is Jesus? You know, is is he was he divine who just kind of took a body, or was he a man who? Who, uh, who just did holy things, trying to get this right balance. And in the end, the, the way the, uh, the early church came up with the answer, they asked this question, Who did Mary give birth to? Mary gave birth to a human person, and that human person was also divine. So that's where we get the title Mother of God, because it's pointing to Jesus. You know, God by definition is the ultimate source of everything. So, you know, we can't have God having a mother in that sense, the mother of all creation, the mother of the whole divinity, because that actually contradicts the word, what God means. So when we say Mother of God, we're not trying to contradict the human language. We're actually pointing to a new reality. We're pointing to Jesus. Again, Mary points to Jesus. She leads us to and helps to define and understand who Jesus is. So please don't be afraid of that expression, Mother of God in the Hail Mary. Because Elizabeth uh, says it here, the mother of my Lord, and she's referring to my Lord in the divine sense here. And it's interesting to note, um, <laughs> again, Tim Staples puts it so eloquently when he, when he says, When Mary spoke, what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down. And all of a sudden, amazing things happen. Babies are leaping in the womb, people are prophesying. You know, it's, um, this is the power of Mary. She's so connected to the Holy Spirit. You cannot separate Mary from the Holy Spirit. Um, where, where you find Mary, you find the Holy Spirit. And when you find the Holy Spirit, you find Mary. So, um, beautifully expressed there. So that's where we'll leave it today. And next time on Our Queen, Our Mother, We'll pick up uh, part two of Introduction of Mary in Scripture, but please don't go away because we'll be right back in just a moment with today's guest, who's going to share something about their own experiences uh, with the graces of Mary. Welcome back. Each session, we like to interview people about their relationship with Mary and how it has developed. And today, our guest is Thomas Juzak. Thomas is currently studying a Masters of Theology at Notre Dame University in Sydney, and he is also a full-time youth worker at Bonnyrig Parish. Welcome Thomas. How are you? I'm good, thanks Paul. How are you? Good. Thanks
1: for joining us today. Tell us a little bit how your love for Mary developed. Well, with me, it started when I was actually overseas. I went overseas for a six-month trip and um, it wasn't the the healthiest trip you could say when I first started. And at one stage, uh, the friend that was traveling with me um, went home early because she got a bit homesick. And so I was left on my own. And I remember at the time I didn't really know what to do or where to go because we had all these plans. And I remember um, my girlfriend back in Australia. She she was getting a lot closer to to Jesus and Mary in her life, and she suggested that I visit Lourdes and Assisi while I was in Italy and France. Oh. I didn't really want to go there, but um, but I thought because I was on my own, it might be a good opportunity. So I did, and um, the experience I had at Lourdes is is what it all what started it all with me. I remember when I got there, I had no clue, you know, where to go, what to do. And I just felt like um, I was being led everywhere. I was walking around, I was going to Mass. Um, I met all these beautiful people that were showing me these you know, amazing places around the city. I just thought it was, it was incredible. Like I really felt the spirit in my heart. There was a time where at that stage I was leading an, an unhealthy lifestyle with a lot of different things. And um, I decided to, to go to confession for the first time in a, in a very long time when I was in Lourdes. It was in the confession where where I pretty much confessed, you know, the worst of it all. I I cried my heart out and um, after confession I just had the most enormous feeling of peace and joy and it's it's incredibly hard to explain but it was it was absolutely beautiful. Lord's just rejuvenated me from there and um and that was where I got my first taste of, of what it's like to to feel, you know, God's love and obviously through Mary. I mean, the rest of the trip was, was a lot better in a sense um, regarding that. But then when I got back to Australia, um, because it was so far after my Lord's experience, I started to, to go back a bit. When I got back, it was, it was a priest at my parish, a very beautiful priest who encouraged me um, to keep developing this relationship. And One of the ways he did that was he invited me to um, a weekly rosary and adoration that we had in our parish. Um, And I remember the first time I went there, I sat in adoration for about five minutes before I got frustrated and walked out. And I remember him telling me, it's it's all right, you know, just stay out here as long as you want, come back in and and keep going like that. So eventually I kept coming back and it was during that that one hour adoration and rosary that my relationship with Mary really developed more more so. Um, it, It got to a point where... I started praying the rosary every day and um and at the moment, the Rosary is actually my favorite prayer to pray because um, it 's the one that gives me most peace when i 'm able to meditate on it and um and the one where I feel the most amount of love from from God Thomas, with this journey and how it developed from Lourdes through to when you went home, were
0: there many struggles that you had to deal with? You mentioned some you know perhaps going back to the old ways and that, but in terms of your relationship with Mary, how did that develop and what kind of struggles did you
1: have to work through? Oh, there were many struggles, many struggles. I mean, because of my previous lifestyle, firstly, when I got back, the girlfriend I was with um, was really, she's really started working on her relationship with God a lot more than than what I did. And so we were at two different places, you know, because we were apart for about six months. And um, she was the one that was really encouraging me as well um, to develop my relationship, but because I was so far behind, it would frustrate me sometimes. You know, having to go to Rosary or, or having to work on this relationship, and, and I used to get angry, and and um, things didn't really work out too well. Then you know, I started to go backwards a bit in my lifestyle as well. I started to ignore Mary in a sense, and sometimes get angry with that relationship because um, my relationship with with my girlfriend and my other friends um, and my family weren't wasn't going as you know, as well as what I wanted them to go. Mm-hmm. So um, the frustration was really getting to me and it was my, myself that was holding the relationship back more so than anything else. And I mean, it's funny because afterwards I found out it was when I was starting to grow with, into these rosaries and, and really starting to get a lot out of it. Um, my girlfriend told me that at one stage in our relationship she, um, she had had enough of, of, of trying to help me out so mm-hmm. much that um, she actually prayed to Mary and told her, you know what Mary, I've had enough of this guy, I'm leaving him to you, you look after him. <laughs> and it's, it's actually very funny because it was from, from that point where my relationship with Mary really started to develop and get stronger. And since then, like I said, my relationship with Mary is probably stronger than any other relationship I have at the moment because um, I've really felt the closeness and the love more in that relationship than any, anywhere else. That's interesting, Thomas. So it's almost like there was a little um,
0: uh, your girlfriend like consecrated you to Mary.
1: Yeah, it's it's funny because we still talk about that now, and that's basically what what she did. Because I mean, I was I was really really tough when it came to things like that at that stage. And I, you know, I, looking back, I was I was a real, um, you know, I wasn't the nicest guy you could say, um, or the best guy for that matter. And it's it's just amazing how how I saw the change in myself as well. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it was pretty much from that point on. So it's it's funny how things work out. What sort of time period
0: are we talking about here, Thomas? Roughly how long ago was this trip to Lourdes? And I'm just trying
1: to get an idea of the, the, the growth, yeah. how
0: long it, it took on this journey for you. Oh,
1: yeah. Um Well, I left to Europe five days after the World Youth Day here in Sydney in 2008.
0: Right.
1: I was there for six months. I came back in January o nine and then it took about you know a good year from there for me to actually develop um, a pretty good relationship with mary and then once I developed that it sort of it just grew from there
0: mm.
1: so it took about a you know six months of the trip because Lords was one of my first stops, so six months of the trip and then when I got back, it took another year of of you know really frustrating and hard and and strong growth to to get to a a point where I had quite a good relationship and then from there it just grew. So
0: perseverance then
1: you would highly recommend in the journey? Perseverance (laughs) I would highly recommend for sure because like I said, I mean the first time I went to Adoration I lasted five minutes and I really, I'm one of those real antsy people you know, like I'm always moving, I can't sit still and so 5 minutes in adoration really frustrated me. I just had to get out, I had to move and and um now I've gotten to the point where I'm I'm happy for a few hours in adoration and and I've got no issues with that and like I said I pray the rosary every day because um it's the prayer that I get the most out of.
0: Well that's great Thomas. Look, one final question I just wanted to ask you and a lot of people perhaps even non-Catholics would be interested to to know this question. How has this relationship with Mary affected your relationship with Jesus?
1: To put it shortly, Mary's done a job very well with me <laughs> and the job being um to increase my relationship with Jesus and to bring me closer to Jesus. And I mean there's two two ways she's done that. The first way I mentioned already is is through adoration. You know, it was doing the rosary in front of the Blessed Sacrament in front of Jesus really gave me an appreciation for what was in front of me. You know, the full, complete divinity, that all of Jesus in His in his wholeness. So that was one way that, that she increased my relationship with Him. But another way was I developed a devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus, also through the connection with the Immaculate Heart of Mary. And from there, I used to go to Encounter Masses, what we had here in Liverpool, which was celebrating the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And it was Mary's relationship that really brought me closer to that. And so I've developed a, a devotion, in a sense, to the Sacred Heart as well, thanks to my relationship with Mary. Look, thank you very much, Thomas. It's wonderful of you to
0: come and to really share this uh, story. It's Not a problem. A, thank you, Paul. It's a personal story, but in a way, it's, it's just so wonderful when other people can, can share in it. So thank you very much. And um, that brings us to the close of our session today. But please join us next time on Our Queen, Our Mother, when we will look further at the graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Radio.org.au